yeah, it's Wednesday, and I got a kiss for you. Good afternoon, everybody, unless you're in Australia, then good morning to you, uh, which is where my boy Mikey is from. That's Mike Diamond. He is the Diamond Life Fuel fanatic. He is my friend, my associate. He's been here since the beginning when we sat together right before COVID and said, hey, you and I should do something together, and we decided to do a show, and who would have known here we'd be here years later with such a great following and just want to thank everybody for that. But Mike and I bring something special to Wednesdays and I'll tell you, we have outdone ourselves today talking about bringing something special to Wednesday. We have brought precious Williams and I'm blessed to bring her into my life. She's the founder of perfect pitches by precious. Yeah. I don't need to, tell you much because she's going to bring the energy like none other. You can find her at perfectpitchesbyprecious.com and she has a new book out that's going to rock the world. And there it is. Hold it up so they can see it at the airport. Might as well be shameless. Oh, it's not shameless because it's necessary because (laughs) you are the pitch queen with a P and that's the pitch queen. And you talk about a woman's journey from poverty interesting enough to purpose and profit. So I want to start there because a lot of people cannot equate or reconcile purpose and profit. They get lost. Yep. And even I got lost. I think Mikey may have got lost as well through our habitual negative behaviors. Um, Why is it that people have a problem reconciling purpose and profits? I think people have a problem reconciling purpose and profits because they're looking at what society says should be your purpose or should be the measure of success. And when it doesn't feel good to you, just like, well, maybe I'm supposed to keep doing that. It wasn't until I went through the darkest time in my life, even in childhood, but in my adult life, when I had everything I ever wanted and I lost the love of my life that I realized that I had very transactional relationships and I should have been there when he was dying. But here I was, you know, on that hamster wheel, trying to get out there, hustle, hustle, hustle. And then when he died, you know, I walked through that homeless journey, became a severe alcoholic. And I had no, I felt like, okay, he's gone. No achievements, no accomplishments can put me in bed at night. It can't make me feel better. The grief was overwhelming. And I wanted to take my life. (laughs) That God choked that fat lady in the back. Like, you can't say nothing. She ain't, we ain't done with her yet. Fat lady can't sing today. And so when I was in a uh, when I was in the Bowery Mission Women's Center and I couldn't work, we had to be in sisterhood. We had to really figure out what our purpose really was outside of what society says. So in that house, I learned how to cook and to clean and to listen and develop real relationships with the people that came in, the donations and the and the donors and it really build it. And it changed something in me. My purpose was not about me. It was about illuminating a different path for women, especially I'm 43. So I'm supposed to be tied through. Nobody's supposed to want me. I'm supposed to be in the back. And I'm like, oh no, we just getting started. Just getting started. No Brazilian butt lift, no six pack abs. And I'm still a whole snack. Come fetch me. So let's get it. Let's get it. And you know, when I was going through it and I kept hearing my heavenly father say to me, your second chapter is better than the first. And I didn't believe it. Cause I'm like, who's going to hire me? Nobody said it. People said they wouldn't hire or they wouldn't book me. And he says, stop looking at closed doors and look at that window. Look at the crack in the door. Go through that. Change your network. And all the things we heard before, but it started to make sense to me. And I stopped being afraid of my past. I stopped being afraid to be able to express some of the things that happened 
because entrepreneurship isn't easy. Relationships aren't easy. And if you're always given this perfect image of what it should look like and your life doesn't look like that, you may stop trying. And so my purpose is to free others and say, you're going to mess up. You're going to be toe up from the flow up and you're still worthy and you still need to get out there and make way for others. So beautiful. Do you think like your rock bottom, like I went through a rock bottom. Some people go through a near death experience. Why do you think we have to go through that to wake up? I mean, do you think it's necessary to, you have to like, is it, we get served that humble pie before we can really align to our truth? Listen, some people probably know their purpose at birth. My grandmother, if she were here, she's been dead since 2000. She knew my purpose when I was 15. I didn't believe her because it was hard to believe my grandmother when the outside world was telling me that I was worthless. I think what I went through, and I'm not saying this for everyone, but I think what I went through and what a lot of people went through is you have to divorce, you have to be divorced of everything to really see the clear path, right? And when I saw the path, it was uncomfortable. It was, uh, but it was necessary. And that's why I have no problem talking about some things in the past, but I want people to, to see that I'm powerful today. Now you can hear about the stories I never could tell because I wanted to take it to my grave. And also, I'm not one for the word humble, but I do think that when I lost everything, I gained everything I was supposed to have. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I talk about self-esteem and it's interesting because when I think of precious, I think of someone with high self-esteem, worthy of everything she's going to receive and more. And it's hard for me to see someone like you tell me that you used to live in others' esteem. Uh, and this is a big problem. And it's just, it's hard for me to, to see that. Like you, you, you can't imagine. And so turning on the switch or transitioning the paradigm from others' esteem, where you're relying on other people's opinions, judgments, and conditions, attacks, and hurt uh, to your own power, your own light. And you've been able not only to recognize and remember and recollect that light, but you've been able to help other people liberate their life and find their self-esteem instead of others' esteem. And you're a 13 time national elevator pitch competitor. Well, shots fired. I'm sorry, I just want to say that. Yeah, fired. exactly. You have slayed every speech I've seen of yours, including two TED Talks, and from Shark Tank to CNN to Wall Street Journal to Forbes to Black Enterprise Magazine, everything I've read about you, I only look there and say to myself, how could this person that's so full of light and self-esteem have been a victim of other people's esteem? How, how does that happen? Because you have so much light. And, you know, I remember someone telling me I'm blocking your my light. What caused you to block your light? What caused me to block my light was my parents not wanting me and knowing that every day of my life and my mother nearly murdering me on November 18th, 1991. What always being compared to my light-skinned, green-eyed sister and being told you're ugly or stupid, I wish you were never born, I wish I left you in a hospital, uh, you know, having a father who's a drug addict and, you know, wondering, am I going to be sold for crack? You know what I mean? And my grandparents, when they came in when I was 15 years old to raise me, my grand, they spoke life over me, but I didn't know what was coming in that world. I didn't know. And then going off to college and law school and, you know, getting kicked out of Georgetown, but that's, a, you, you know, it is what it is. I thought I had to fit in 
to gain people's approval. And it wasn't until I had to shed all of that, right? I can't live off of accomplishments and achievements. I can't. But you know what I can live on is love. And so when I struggled, there were people who always saw me better than I saw myself. And they would speak this life into me. I remember Miss Joanne Francis, who was my social worker, came when I was in and out of psych wards. And she said, baby, I'm going to be with you to the end. You don't believe that out of a social worker. She has. And she's the one who got me from St. Louis in the psych ward to New York. And she always came to the Bowery Mission every two weeks. And she said, I'm going to fight for you. If someone says anything wrong, call me. Now, you know, I have a cell phone in the Bowery Mission. You couldn't have that. But just knowing someone had my back. But I also think the changing point for me was not just homelessness and alcohol addiction. It was realizing that people saw who I really was. and It was time for me to break free and that I don't have to be the skinniest, the tallest or anything. I could just be bring out my personality that's been in me for so long. And now it's breaking free. And I think when people see me, they're like, oh, my God, there's so much energy in you. I'm like, yeah, because I stuffed it for so long thinking no one would like it because I don't sound like him. I don't sound like her, this queen or this king. And I found that people love me. I was just at BMW at their uh, 10th annual supply diversity conference. And I have never in my life, even with my friends being by my side, they saw the reaction, even the executives at BMW. And they were like, we knew you were good. We didn't know how good you were, that everyone wants to be with you. And I was like, but my heavenly father did. And he said, come through now. And so, yeah. And I also think that's why the pitch queen, I had to write stories because I don't want people to ever hold me to homelessness and bad childhood and addiction because I'm 43. Do you know how many, when I say TMZ ain't got nothing on me, I really mean that. There's some stories in here that's like, you still alive? Oh, yes. <laughs> what, what, that really happened? I'm like, yes, because I'm more than three stories. There's so many stories and it's time to share it and not take it to the grave. And I pray that it's part memoir, part inspiration, but part just whatever you go through, what's coming is always better than what's behind. And I need you to look forward and stop looking back. And stop, stop eating the BS that everything has to look perfect for you to be taken seriously. Ain't nothing perfect about me but my pitches. Ain't nothing perfect about me but my pitches. And that's pretty good. Really good. Mikey, last Mind blowing. Well, it's just mind blowing because I know what it's like to come from a background not as hard as yours, but still being pushed down. But we pushed see down, each other, down. right? We oh, see. Oh my god! Like everything you said, it's kind of hard to listen to because I went through it. Mm-hmm. But I have a question, right? Mm-hmm. How do you how do you get thrown out of law school and bounce back? Like what? Because there's oh, people about the five years I was depressed after getting kicked out of Georgetown and not being a Hoya lawyer and having the dean tell me certain things. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was rough. And I was so embarrassed I couldn't talk to my spellman, my classmates. I couldn't talk to my line sisters, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Like, I lied and was depressed. And I think that just jarred relationships. But when Rutgers School of Law Newark gave me a full scholarship to, to come, and even when I had a nervous breakdown in my second semester of my first year, the dean came to my, you know, my aunt said, if you don't go see Precious, I'm going to come see you. At my at my hospital bed and said, we're going to see you through this. I was like, I got kicked out of Georgetown and now I have a nervous breakdown. The donor's not taking away the money. You got into some of the greatest schools in this nation. You're going to get through this. We don't leave people. We're going to push you. 
And they did. And I took it. And I want to say this. You don't take things moment, you, you, minute by minute or day by day. I had to take it moment by moment. There were times I didn't take a shower. I showed up just to sit there. And before I knew it, I was in my last semester. And I became a student attorney. And there was something in me that changed. I said, it's time. And I was the number one student attorney in my class. And I went from wearing sweats to suits. And people got excited to see me. When I went to special remand court, I wanted the prosecutors to shake. Because I'm ready. I'm, I'm now who I'm supposed to be. And so this is what I realized. In all my time in law school, I was supposed to be a litigator. And so you can throw anything at me. I'm ready. Are you? I'm ready. Wow. Well, we were ready. We were ready and continue <laughs> to be ready. Uh, unbelievable. If you were excited like I am about these stories, if you're excited about the incredible light, love, and lessons that this perfect pitch queen exists with, and if you want to learn one of the most valuable skills with the knowledge and desire that it takes in order to effectuate purpose and profit in your life, then you got to read this book, The Pitch Queen, A Woman's Journey from Poverty to Purpose to Profitability there. She is one of my dear friends. She is amazing. Learn the lessons. She's paid the dummy tax. Let her liberate you as she's been liberated. Precious, please come back and visit us. I will... Explain my text message in a bit to you. Apologize. No, we that. Come on now. We, beans we, and cornbread. Beans and cornbread. I'm coming to New York to see you next week. So we'll be together in person. And uh, Mikey, <laughs> I know I, I, it was so funny that you explained that. I saw Mike's face when you were telling the story. And I've never seen him react so harshly. I'm like, well, I was like, like, and you were talking about the Bowery Mission in New York. I lived in New York. I used to go down the Bowery Mission. But we're at the Women's to... Center, so you know we was living lovely, lovely. And that's wow. why I say angels will always be there. So thank you all so very much. Love you all. Amazing. Thank you. Buy the book, Perfect Pitches by Precious.com. She's amazing. If you haven't noticed, thanks so much. Blew me away. Bye. See you wow. All right. Some heavy stuff. Now we... Yeah, we got another David in the house. So uh, David Locke is here, Senior Program Director at ANA Avatar Prize, the XPRIZE.org. Um, and we're going to talk about XPRIZE and, you know, what's going on in, you know, real time, uh, true nonprofit foundational work. And David, I uh, grew up with a guy named David Lockheim, who changed his name to David Locke. He was the youngest sports uh, announcer for the Utah Jazz and then yeah. Seattle Supersonics. I've and, heard of uh, David Locke. I didn't realize there was the Heim on the end of it previously. He changed his name. I David, uh, I, I got a fellowship to, to go to every baseball stadium in the country when I graduated college before I went to Tulane Law School. And I had to pick one person to go with me. And David Lockheim was a sophomore and I was a senior. And he was a baseball player. And his parents were extremely affluent. His dad was president of Stanford's business school. And instead of picking a friend and then having all my other friends pissed off uh, and having to share everything because it was a friend, I picked David Lockheim to go with me because I could make my own terms. So I said, look, man, I'm going to get paid all the money. You're going to drive. Uh, you're going to write the report. I'm going to present it at the winter meetings and you get to go to every major league stadium in baseball uh, and get on the field with passes. And he said, do I have to pay you? I said, no, you don't have to pay me, but you have to do all the other things. And he said, sure. Later on became a, the youngest play-by-play uh, -play -play announcer in the NBA, David Locke now. But this is the other Locke. He won one prize. You're working on other prizes uh, right. with you know, probably one of the most famous board of trustees from uh, James Cameron to 
uh, Ariana Huffington, uh, Larry Page, and the list goes on and on. What makes uh, the ANA Avatar X Prize so powerful that it's attracting the biggest and the best to support it and to promote it? Yeah, great question, uh, David. Nice to meet you, Mike, as well. Um, hey. You know, ANA Avatar X Prize is a part of X Prize, right? So ANA Avatar X Prize, which I'm currently running, has been running for the past four years. However, we are a part of the X Prize Foundation, which has been running competitions or incentivized prize competitions for the last twenty plus years. So uh, we're we're it's it's interesting. We're almost best known for our first prize that was almost twenty plus years ago, which was the Ansari X Prize. It was a ten million dollar prize that drove. Uh, tons of people out to the desert to watch uh, a spaceship, a private spaceship, fly out of Earth's orbit twice within a two-week period of time. Uh, and that team uh, ended up winning $10 million and also uh, becoming Virgin Galactic, as we know it today. So Richard Branson went on to buy that technology. And so I think that first prize really set our trajectory of where we were going to go and what we could do. And so the idea is that we come up with these big uh, hairy challenges to solve these grand problems that we see out in the world. And we incentivize the crowd to solve those problems, right? So it's really open to anybody anywhere in the world to come in and come up with solutions for these challenges that we run. And uh, we've been very successful and lucky, I think, to get a great benefactor board behind us, but also amazing sponsors uh, who come in to sponsor the individual prizes that we run. So over those 20 plus years, uh, I think we've awarded in excess of $100 million now, or something on like our 20th prize and the a and Avatar X prize is part of that story. That's so amazing, right? Yeah. Just, so you started off at Sony Pictures and you were working on a lot of big productions there. And what a lot of these young entrepreneurs that are listening need to understand is you're always making pivots and then growing and changing. So can you take us through that? Because from Sony Pictures to where you are, how was, how'd you make that transition and how did it help you going from one place to the next? Right. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> no one's ever asked that before. I appreciate it. I like it. So uh, yeah, I went to school. I have a background. My background is in, in film production and in business. And, you know, I was all in coming out of college, working in the film industry, first doing, you know, uh, freelance work and then ending up at Sony Pictures, where I was for about three and a half years as part of a really small team putting together our television movies and miniseries. And I got this crazy call from somebody, a, a Sony defector who had left Sony and was now at XPRIZE and said, hey, do you want to come and work on this competition to help develop, uh, help develop fuel efficient vehicles? <laughs> this is 14 years ago. This was, you know, there were no Priuses, Teslas, all this stuff. It was, I was like, what are you talking about? No, I don't think so. But he kept, he was so persistent. And he got me to finally take a meeting. And I said, you know what? I'm like interested in trying to apply my skill sets elsewhere. Right. So where can I take this program management, project management mindset that I have in terms of logistics and operations and running a film set and apply that towards a competition model? And so I bring a lot of those skill sets that I had owned over the years to put together these competitions, which tend to be anywhere between 10 and five years long, multi-million dollar budgets. And I get this crazy idea that it's a prize concept. And I say, okay, now I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to make it reality, just like I used to do when I'd get a script and be like, you guys, you know, we don't have money for this 3D or this visual effect, et cetera. We now apply that to running these competitions. Brilliant. And, you know, beyond the support that you get and the ability to share a vision and articulate the quantitative value of that vision, it's coming up with the competition itself that's so remarkable to me because it takes 
a vision and my life has been supported by visionaries, whether it was the internet is a fad in 92 resulting in a $3.4 billion exit or uh, the world's first smartphone, which was CEO of its Samsung, where people did not believe me when I said someday you would speak in full duplex color for free to China or whether it was Lee Steinberg who, you know, said, Hey, I'm going to hire this kid to be the CEO of a sports agency because he knows technology uh, while everybody else was trying to hire you know, ex-football players that had law degrees. Um, it's hard to see, you know, that vision of, you know, efficient cars or oil cleanup, uh, lunar prizes. Women's safety is another one that you've done. Uh, this one's quite interesting to me because I don't think it's uh, as apparent as some of them. It takes an extraordinary vision, I, I think, to understanding the ANA Avatar Prize. So I was hoping for those that aren't familiar you know, what is uh, the competition with the ANA Avatar X Prize this time? And what do you expect uh, as an outcome uh, for the proliferation or acceleration for all humankind? Right. Um, so it's funny, David, you had mentioned the internet and cell phones, et cetera, which back in the day were considered crazy ideas, right? But oh, actually, yeah. we think everything is a crazy idea until it's not, right? Yeah, Dave, I got I to just tell you this to, to set the stage. When I got involved in the internet in 92, not only did my mom tell me I was insane, that it was a fad, the internet would never last. But when I got the job, I got to present to the Supreme Court of the United States and I showed Westlaw which ended up being a multi-billion dollar venture, I showed it to the Supreme Court and Justice Scalia, supposedly one of the wisest men on earth, he told me, David, it was in DOS, 9,600 modems, monochrome screen, but he said, David, nobody will ever do, re this is my best, nobody will ever do research on the internet, you need books. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, literally the biggest superpower of the internet is research. And I sit there every day and I met him later on in life. And he said, Dave, you don't tell anyone that story. And I'm, I'm glad he's not here anymore for only one reason is I tell everyone that story. That's why I interrupted you as much as I can to prove a point that yeah, yeah. even our wisest sages, the yep. Supreme Court of the United States, they all laugh at you, scoff at you and make fun of you until you actually do it. And then they applaud you. Exactly. And we have that with all the competitions we run. When we first start recruiting teams, people look at me like I'm crazy. But by the fourth year, when we start to see the results, it's like, OK, it's no longer a crazy idea. Right. So we believe that technology can be used to solve any problem on Earth. It might not be able to do it right now, but it will be as we start to see these emerging technologies surface and then also combine to build super technologies like Avatar. So I'll start with with ANA. ANA is Japan's leading airline. Um, I had built a relationship with them on a previous competition. We kept, in, we kept in talks and we knew that we wanted to work together, but we were trying to figure out how. So uh, every year XPRIZE runs an event where we bring some of the greatest minds together to, to uh, pinpoint some of the biggest problems in the world that we see and then how we can use challenges or competitions to solve those problems. So ANA came to us and this particular year we were working with companies who, who we were allowing the companies to put forth the problem and then come up with the, the competition. And ANA came to us and said, you know what? We're interested in disrupting our own business model. We see uh, teleportation as a possible avenue where, 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 this, where the idea of travel could be going, right? People don't want to get on planes and spend the time and the money to travel the world for a two-hour business meeting and head back home. And we said, okay, teleportation's not quite there yet, but what if 
for now, we put an avatar in the middle. So we put a robot in the middle that you could access. And through that avatar, you can transport your senses, your actions, and your sense of presence to a remote location anywhere in the world. So the idea is that if I'm at home, I can access a, uh, a robot in Japan. And through that robot, I can see, I can hear, I can walk around and mobilize, I can touch and feel things and have a true sense of connection with somebody and feel like I am actually there in that remote location. And so possibilities are endless, right? There are, there are so many, but the three that we've really honed in on is the sense of connection, being able to connect with another person, whether it be uh, your grandmother who's in a nursing facility that you don't have the time to go and see, or it's a business meeting that you don't want to have to get in an airplane to go travel again to Japan. You can just have this and feel like you have that sense of connection through, via the robot. Second is transporting your skill set. So the idea that you no longer have to leave your home to be able to share your expertise in the world. Instead, you can share it anywhere. As long as there's an avatar in this location that you want to be to perform that particular skill set, you'll have the ability to do that. And then thirdly is exploration. So whether you want to just be, it is an airline after all, if you want to be a travel junkie from the comfort of your own home, or you want to go explore somewhere that's maybe too dangerous to risk sending human life, space, deep water missions, uh, um, you know, there's many examples. You can send an avatar now to, to, to go ahead and accomplish those tasks for you. Well, wow. it, feels, it feels like we're eating goddamn LSD right now. When you right? said like, <laughs> like seriously, like we're tripping out and I'm sober. How, how, like with this kind of technology, which is so intense, how do we find a balance that we don't lose ourselves in the technology and the avatar and we lose, we don't lose that sense of real connection. Like, you know what I mean? Like I can just yeah. do this. And I don't go see Dave when I should actually sit down with Dave and have a conversation every now and then. I agree with you. And that that question got posted to me. I've toured the world, you know, as part of these prizes and trying to get people into our ecosystem and sell them on this idea. And I was I was in Italy once and this very Italian lawyer was furious with me. Why would I want to use this goddamn avatar robot to connect with my grandmother when I can just walk next door? And I said, well, you right. In August, you love to take summer vacation, don't you? And he goes, of course, I'm Italian. I said, okay. So now when you're on your vacation, you can check in on your grandmother and feel as if you were there with her, even though you're on your vacation and she's still in Italy because she was unable to travel. So what I always say is this is an alternative. It is not, I'm not looking right. to replace human connection. I am not looking to stop people from going into their job and doing their job. Instead, we're looking to expand that. So you could almost think of it as like a rideshare service today where you get on your phone and you're able to access Lyft and Uber in the future, you'll be able to access an avatar anywhere in the world and control that avatar and feel as if you are in that location where the robot is located. Wow. And yeah, it's all think to fruition, right? Like I, I know it sounds science fiction. No, we held our semifinals crazy. here and the technology is coming. It's the right time. It's the right time with these emerging technologies coming together. Yeah, I think it's fascinating beyond the obvious, meaning that, you know, as a business person or a speaker, that I wouldn't have to, you know, fly over to Dubai to create the same information and in, in communication. But I love looking at the more counterintuitive reverse of that, meaning how does it actually enhance travel? Uh, for example, you use the, the example of I could be at home with my kids, uh, which is a big value to anyone that does corporate travel. Probably the biggest value of all, which is, you know, from coming from someone that travels 200 days a year since he's been 24 years old, and, you know, from Skype to FaceTime to Zoom and all the ways that I now interact with my children while I'm traveling that enhances my life tremendously. 
this yeah. is just another vehicle. But then there's also uh, these capabilities uh, that as you not just age, but as we all have disabilities, uh, we now can counteract uh, the disability by enhancing our travel that, you know, you can imagine if, like you said, you know, what if part of our family, you know, wants to scuba dive and yet I can't, or I'm afraid or whatever it is. Now I can have that shared experience, right? I can have that shared experience that has this intangible uh, value. And then there's also the dangerous or the, the first responder value of it where there's gases or it's, it's just too dangerous to serve. And now we need the expertise, the skills, the knowledge of, you know, a 30 year old, a 30 year old, a 30 year veteran of, of fire rescue that just can't go into that fire. But now this uh, solution saves lives because we have not only the incredible robotic, but we also have the knowledge inherent within human nature to save lives and how that works. So I think it's really important to see what are, you know, some things that you have found through this competition that we haven't thought of, you know, I've, my imagination went wild. That's just the way I am. I know Mike's did as well. Is there, is there something that is counterintuitive or, a little bit, you know, because you're so deep into it that I, that we haven't thought of that's a true value of this prize. You know, I, I think there's so many new use cases pop up all the time. And I'll, I'll be talking to some random person at the grocery store in line or, you know, a professor at this university and everybody's imagination starts to take it in new directions. But one that I just had the other day that seems so simple that I was like, in the last four years, I never thought of it. But the idea is that, you know, and we're already starting to see this with a lot of the space agencies, ESA in Europe, NASA here in the States, et cetera, is that they are looking into sending uh, tele-operated robots into space because, again, they're trying to minimize the risk of, of sending human lives, especially on some of the earlier missions. And what they said to me was, you know, so by having this avatar up there, we could not only send one skill set, so like an engineer, but now we immediately have access to a doctor to a teacher, to an engineer, to a friend, to that astronaut oh, yeah. child, that now it's not just one person that's accessing that avatar in that single location. It's two, three, 10, 20 different people, 20 different skill sets, 20 different relationships that you now have immediate access to. And it's just unfathomable, right? It's And, and I, I think we see similar technologies now, like we're talking here on the split screen, but the idea is I can't reach out and touch you and give you a high five or shake your hand or mobilize within this environment, those rooms that you are located, but with avatars, we'll be able to do it. So it's a heightened, heightened tele-operated experience like we've never seen before. And it's just the beginning, right? This is the hello world, very first phase. And, uh, and when we conclude testing in November of this year, uh, I think we're going to start to see what the, what the further capabilities are with as it starts to enter the market. Yeah, super uh, multiple personality skills, knowledge and desire, but there's also multiple functionality. The other way of, you know, I can have my turn walking on the moon. You can have your turn walking on the moon. Mike can have his turn walking on the moon. So there is a perpetual value as well and all type of experiential things where now we place the robots into different experiences and so many more people can enjoy uh, that experience that was physically impossible because of the human limitations fabulous unbelievable as usual all these years it just gets better and better if you're not familiar with xprize check it out xprize.org forward slash prizes slash avatar to check out the latest competition 
David Locke, the other David Locke in my life, Senior Program Director at the NA Avatar Prize. Thank you so much for enlightening us. I love people that test our imagination, that break through limitations to unbelievable, audacious, outrageous future that exists for all of us. Without the free thinkers like you, we'd be limited, limited by our past and our fear. Thank you for breaking through our past and our fears to provide a better future, better situations and circumstances, events and experiences for everybody. Thank you so much. Guys, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I don't want to leave today without just pitching. We are doing live in-person testing Avatar Finals November 4th and 5th right here in Long Beach, California. So I really hope you guys will join. It oh, is wow. It is open to the public. It is free to attend. So invite your families, bring your friends. Come and check out the future of robotics at our finals event in November 4th and 5th, Long Beach, California. I'm glad that we had it. We didn't even have it in the notes. That's awesome. Yeah, it's right in the backyard. Know. Let's make yeah, it happen. Today. All right. Thank, Thank you, you for that, David. I appreciate right. you putting that in there. Thank you. I love that. We didn't have it in the notes. Like you just. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, I don't know where 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 we're going, going on? with that. What's going exactly. on? Do you think I'm that smart that I know everything? Yeah. No, I know how to read. I know how to read notes, and I make it seem like it's real. Give me the I'm like, cheat sheets. Give I'm like an avatar. Sheets. I'm an avatar. <laughs> this actually is not Dave Meltzer. This is the closet uh, avatar. And they're programming me to pretend like I'm cool, like Mike Diamond. Anyway, speaking about pretending I'm cool, we got someone who's actually cool here. And here she is with us, Layla uh, Hormozzi, CEO of Acquisition.com. I will tell you, very uh, rarely does everyone on my team get so excited, Layla. They're like, oh, my God. You have Layla on, and you gotta make sure you bring it, Dave. Make sure. I'm like, wait a second. I'm a, I'm an extra miler. I go the extra mile every time, not just every once in a while, like your normal host, right, Mike? Yeah, a hundred thousand percent. Well, we're gonna go the extra extra mile because everybody loves Layla, and I just uh, read over the bio. As long as my facts are true, this is gonna be uh, an incredible interview. Is Alex gonna join us too, or just you? No, it's just me. Oh, that's all, all the well. Nobody really wanted him anyway. Um, yeah. anyway. <laughs> uh, I appreciate anyway, in short, in a short amount of time, in just six years, uh, you guys have built an eight-figure business, which is remarkable because success does not come overnight. Um, and you've done over $130 million in direct sales uh, with what you do. And, you know, I want to talk about that experience of building a business uh, so big, so fast. And I know there's always the predecessor to the six years when you started. What did that journey look like to encourage more entrepreneurs to continue to be consistent and persistent in the pursuit of their their dream, their belief? Yeah, you know, I think I was in sales prior to starting our business. So I got into sales when I was about 18 and Alex separately also got into sales. Uh, and we were both also in the fitness industry. And so both of us combined had about, I want to say, I think it was 14 years of experience combined in the fitness sales industry before we started our business, which happened to also be teaching fitness sales as a big aspect of it. And so, you know, for those years leading up to it, you know, I worked at big box gyms. I worked at small group gyms. I did online coaching. I did in-person coaching. I also sold on the side for other businesses online just like trying to make more money while I was trying to start basically an online business for myself. Um, and then I met Alex and, you know, he had a few gyms at the time and we basically 
he kind of pitched me actually the first time we were uh, on a date and he was like, we should work together. And I was like, work together. I was like, we're on a date. And he was like, yeah, we crush it together. And I was like, what? And so uh, after like just a few weeks, uh, we actually did, we started gym launch together. And um, the first year and a half, I want to say that we lost more money than we made. Um, so, you know, it's funny because I was just talking about this earlier, actually, with the CEO. Um, everyone says that, like, growing a business is so fun. And that's what anyone who hasn't grown a business says, <laughs> right? Right, and right. Growing a business is like growing a business is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Because I think that what both of us recognize is that the hardest part of the journey, I think, is having to reinvent yourself over and over again. You know, having to break those old habits, those old patterns, those old thought patterns that we had that got us to one level, but then they prevent us from getting to the next. And I think that's the that's the reason I have so much respect for people who are able to get into business and continuously innovate and grow is because it's such a hard personal journey. Um, and for us, you know, in the very beginning, failing so much, you know, a lot of people ask like, well, why didn't you stop after almost two years of, you know, we were sleeping in motels, we we're staying at one of our clients' houses, like we had no money. You know, we partnered with a guy at one point who then stole all our money that we had made. Like it was just like a fire after fire after fire because we were inexperienced and we were both honestly really trusting of other people. And so we made some poor decisions. And I think that if I had to, you know, like nail down the only reason that we were able to succeed, it's like, I just think it's because we didn't give up. You know, I see so many people that were in the same spot we were that I know who are still in that same spot because they continuously give up every few months. And then they try something new and then they give up on that thing. And then they try something new and they give up on that thing. And I think it was just that we stuck with it because, you know, if we looked at it logically, we're like, we have the skills, we have the right partnership, we have the right opportunity in the marketplace. This has to work if we don't stop and we don't stop trying logically, even though emotionally it feels horrible <laughs> every day when you're like losing money and you're like, shit, you're like, if I just trust, it'll work. And I, I think that's why it ended up taking off. And when it did take off, um, you know, we kind of stayed in the dark uh, until we sold that business about a year ago, just because um, I think we were a little bit concerned of what it would be like to have more forward facing. Um, Alex was always in the ads and such in our last business, but not in, uh, but I was never. And so, and even with that, you know, it's limited to a niche. And so, you know, recently, I think about a year and a half ago for him and about 10 months ago for me, we decided to like try and make content and do things like that. And that's been another leg of the journey because, you know, realizing that a lot of those skills that, you know, use in business don't translate over to making content, to doing presentations, to speaking, um, you know, it just continues to add to the journey. Uh, so mind blank. Someone asked me the other day, I mean, I've been in America since 97 and they, and I was trying to tell them it takes 20 years to make an overnight success. And that's just to get to the tipping point. You may not go over the tipping point and so many people fall back. And there's a famous thing called the Stockdale uh, paradox where Stockdale was a prisoner in the prison of war camp. And he said, when you're in the prison of war camp, it's not about optimism. It's about faith. You know what I mean? That you, one day it's going to happen. So how did you guys have faith to just bite down on the back teeth? When every, it, look, you can't see what's going to sprout. The bamboo tree takes five years to sprout. You know, you keep water filling. How did you have that faith? You say, look, we've got the skills, but we're just going to hold in on the ship and know our true north. What kept you there? Yeah, I honestly think a lot of it. And, you know, Y Combinator talks about having like three founders is the best, is has the most amount of success or likelihood of success in a business. I think that a huge part was we each 
when we didn't have faith in ourselves, like in the moment when we'd be doubting ourselves, we had faith in each other. So Alex said there were so many times where he was like, I didn't have faith in myself, but I was like, if Layla's here, I know that she can crush it. And so if she believes in me, then I can believe in me. And I felt the same way about him. I was like, there were moments I was doubting myself and feeling really insecure, but I was like, Alex is so smart and so, you know, hardworking. He wouldn't be with me if I was, you know, some idiot. And so we talk about that a lot because I think that we rely on that and, you know, having each other in that aspect was really useful. I think it also is like, I always draw from past experiences, you know, like, I had lost a hundred pounds when I was like 19. I always drew from that. I was like, it's gotta be the same thing, which was there'd be weeks where I felt like I wasn't making progress. And then one week it would just like, you know, two pounds would drop or something. And I was like, wow, if I just stick with it, eventually the results will come. And so I took a lot of that past experience as well um, and put it over there as well as other things, you know, like random things. Like I used to be terrible at uh, public speaking. And so in college, I was absolutely terrified. Like, I'm not even kidding you. Like I was like pitted out to the max. Like, sweat stains all over me, like presenting in front of my college class. And I was like, if I don't give up and I just do it again, I'll sweat a little less next time. And then like <laughs> next time. And I think I just took those experiences as far off as they were. And I said, if everything works the same way, which is if you just don't give up and you just keep trying and you get like 0.001% better every day, even if that doesn't mean you still make mistakes, but maybe you react differently to those mistakes, then I think I can do this because what I've observed and I observe is just most people give up before that tipping point and you know they change their minds so many times they never give themselves a chance to see if they can even succeed at anything yeah yeah there's so much math involved and people ask me what books to read when we're talking about the consistent persistent pursuit and i will suggest always someone like einstein uh to understand compound interest understand also the relativity of time uh in understanding how you built acquisition.com you know it's interesting because there's always a functionality in business and in personal life of what meaning am I giving the defined moments or inflection points of my past? And then how am I applying that meaning to a trajectory of what I think I want in the future? And I know it sounds theoretical in nature, but your business that you've created, the acquisition.com business is really understanding the inflection points and defining moments. And then, giving it a meaning to apply to other businesses uh, that have the same characteristics or components that would function in the same direction or trajectory, but able to scale that way beyond what your successes were with Alex. Um, At what point did you realize, you know, like it was very interesting to me how you defined or or gave a different meaning to to losing a hundred pounds, right? I'm, I'm sure it had a different meaning when you were 19 then all of a sudden it meant as you got older and started utilizing the meaning of that to the patience and and reconciliation of persistence with that patience to build a business. Uh, how do you apply that meaning to figuring out what to invest in today and what meaning are those past experiences given as you look towards these future businesses? Yeah, I think that a lot of what those experiences taught me is that a lot of the times when we're presented with something and something feels like it's not working, we always like the natural human tendencies to want to change things, to take action, to take very big action. And that's usually contrary to what the situation actually needs in order to resolve itself. I think that many situations, if we continue to do what we're doing, resolve themselves with time or a change in perspective. And so I think that what they taught me was to be patient, if anything, And, you know, our natural proclivities are built into us as humans, but we don't need to react to them. 
So a lot of people say they're like, you're very patient because, you know, I think growing a business oftentimes after big changes are made, you don't need big changes for a very long time, but people feel these urges to make big changes because it feels productive. Um, and I realized that was kind of how weight loss felt. It's like, you want to do these huge crash diets. You want to do tons of exercise. You want to do all that's not really what's needed. You know, people always ask me like, what did you do? I was like, I literally worked out three days a week and I just ate less. Like it was so simple. <laughs> um, and like I stepped 10,000 steps a day. Like that was it, but I just did it for two years. And so I look at business the same way. And I think that I consider nowadays patience to be a strategic advantage because I feel like most people can't even wait three months to see if a business is going to work. You know, because every time something doesn't work, they want to change the whole strategy of the business rather than like, maybe your sales guy just sucks. Or maybe you have no onboarding calls, so all the customers are confused. Like such small stuff, which is what really prevents businesses from growing. But everyone wants to make these categorical changes. And so I just took that experience of my past. And I was like, very rarely are categorical changes needed and apply that to business. And so I think a lot of it was learning the patience and persistence. Um, and I think if we can be more mindful, then the, the founders who are more mindful they are more successful because they're able to recognize that about themselves. You know, they're like, I need to be more patient here. Like I feel an urge to do something. That doesn't mean that my business needs to get fixed. And so I think that's how it's translated over the most is kind of just like who we look for, how we grow the businesses and just patience in general. You know, I think that honestly, it's just patience. I think uh, another Einsteinian principle of you can't solve a problem in the same consciousness that it's created and you're a great example of that well next time i have you on layla we got to talk about how the hell you get onto a date with a guy who tells you he wants to do business with you and then end up marrying him anyway that <laughs> one is uh, a much longer conversation yeah, but we yeah. definitely have to have you back you're an incredible entrepreneur empowering so many people and now taking what you've learned to the next level I only see great success, uh, obviously, with your gym launch, but acquisition.com. Continue to be consistent and persistent, reconciling patience with the confidence that you and Alex give each other. Thank you so much for joining us. We certainly appreciate your time. Thanks, David. I appreciate you both. Have a good one. You lived up to your rep. We appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. You knocked ya. it out of the park. All That's right. awesome. I think one of my favorite things you said is yeah, I've walked. I just ate less and walked 10,000 steps for two years and I lost 100 pounds. I'm like, thank you. Why do people have to charge billions of dollars to t teach you move and, and eat less and yeah. be fine? Uh, especially if you're young, right? Especially it's true. It's calories in, calories out. It's like, like you say, compound interest. It compounds over time if you cut down the calories. Do some yeah. exercise. Joe Rogan always says, if you can walk from the couch to the fridge, you can exercise. Right. Right, yeah. you walk to the yeah. fridge, walk a little walk around the block. Today was it. really interesting because you know what the mistake people make, Dave? It's like they look at you or look at me or look at entrepreneurs, is they just think there's shortcuts. There's no shortcuts in this game. So it's like I look at it like this, and what I got from this was it's about patience and it's about pivoting, but it's about evolving. Every day I have a 24 hour rule. If I have a bad day or I have a good day, I only celebrate a win for 24 hours or I like sit in a loss for 24 hours. That's it. Because if you over celebrate, you stop evolving and learning because you think you know everything. If you stay in depression, then you don't walk around the block to lose the hundred pounds. So it's about just getting through the moment sometimes, but staying the course. There's no white light experience. 
you know, it's staying the course. And like you said, everyone thought in 1992, the internet was a fad. And guess what? You were right. They were wrong, even a Supreme Judge. So have faith in yourself and just stay the course. Yeah, I love that. And I think, you know, understanding there's light, love, and lessons in everything. And, you know, you look at Precious, who literally hit rock bottom. Um, <laughs> and, you know, David, that has a vision beyond most people, right? And that's can be, you know, a detriment, you know, when you, when you see things that are too early, uh, it becomes a detriment if you can't facilitate that. Um, and then I just love the simplicity of like, Layla and, and Alex's success, right? They just yeah. didn't yeah. mind losing money in the, in the short term um, and investing in themselves. And I think in the end, my takeaway is self-esteem um, because each of the three individuals had the other's esteem against them. The, you know, Precious especially was, you know, others' esteem created with the closest people when she was little, which is really difficult, which I know resonated with you and your oh, own yeah. parents want to sell you into slavery, you know, <laughs> pretty much. Like, seriously. Uh, and then when you're like a big dreamer uh, like me, you know, I, I've had to deal with others' esteem from the traditional doctor-lawyer failure, you know, the... Uh, school snobbery of Harvard, Penn, or Columbia, you know, to shit, I'm going to, you know, sell internet, <laughs> right? Uh, but yeah. it's others, others esteem when, when you're talking about, you know, these avatars, and then all of a sudden you take your vision and, and get capitalization and, and reality, you're like, holy shit, this can change the world. This guy can change yeah. the world over 20 some years. And then even in a really simple, straightforward competitive business like gyms, and launching gyms and then acquiring businesses you know these are just two people that didn't concern themselves with others esteem all three individuals win because they have self-esteem and i want to encourage everyone if you don't have self-esteem surround yourself with others esteem that is aligned with your self-esteem don't let them suck your soul dry of your energy your light utilize your light liberate others ask for help let other people liberate you as well um, man, you liberate me every Wednesday. I appreciate you. I love your shirt. I love you. I love Diamond Life Fuel. I will see you soon. Take care, love my brother. Have a great day. Bye, awesome, man. awesome episode as usual. Office hours. We start out on Wednesday. We're killing it. I can't even tell you how many episodes we've had. I want to thank my team for bringing on such extraordinary people every single day. We are blessed. If it's free, it's we. Just email me, david at dmelter.com. I'm still giving away free books, signing them, paying for the book and shipping. If it's free, it's we. Email me, david at dmelter.com. We'll be back tomorrow as usual. Remember, most importantly, be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you later. Thanks. <laughs>